And so I wanted to, I wanted to really continue on from where I, I left off a couple of weeks ago, where surprisingly at Easter I actually talked about Pentecost. Because what I'm looking at is how, how people understood the resurrection. And often when we, we, we go through Easter, it's, we, we look at the cross and we stop at the cross. And I shared to you about, for, for quite a long time in my Christian walk, I, my faith stopped at the cross. And it, it, I never understood what, what the resurrection was about and what its, its relevance to me was. And I'm going to share a bit more on that this morning because uh, last time I talked about how it wasn't just Jesus that was raised to life, it was us that was raised to new life and that we have resurrection power on the inside of us. And we do, we have resurrection power that changes lives, that heals bodies, that, that blind eyes open, deaf ears see, people get out wheelchairs. We have that resurrection power on the inside. And, and we need to release more of that. And I talked about a church that is not, right at this moment in England, is probably not seen and not heard. The, the, the church has lost its voice. But a time has come and is now starting when the church will now be both seen and heard. Because we have to be a witness to having seen something. Not just talk about what, what things like it was theoretical and it was a historical document, which it is, but something that's real and living and powerful in us. And we've seen miracles, we've seen life change, we've seen people come into the kingdom, we've seen blind eyes open, we've seen deaf ears healed. And we can say, I've seen it. And now I'm going to tell you about it and you'll hear about it. And that's what the disciples were doing in the early days of the church. That's why it spread like a virus. Because they were seeing and people were hearing. They were hearing the story behind what they were seeing. And um, so I'm going to go take you just back to Easter and then I'm going to look at how the disciples worked out another implication of the resurrection. So last time it was about resurrection power in us. And I'm going to look at another implication this morning. You see, I just want to, let's just get some grounding. It wasn't just Jesus that died at Easter. The minute you put your faith in him, you died at Easter too. It was attributed to you. Your old man is dead and your new man is alive in Christ. Yeah. Paul says, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. See, all things are made new. And so that, that's what I, I established and talked about. I talk about that a lot. But, you know, so many things were changed forever by the cross and the resurrection. Here's the thing. The foundation that the early Christians put their faith in and what produced what people saw in their lives was not the Bible. Because the Bible wasn't even written. The New Testament wasn't written at the time they were doing all these miracles. You see, and the second thing they didn't put their faith in, in the foundation of their faith, it wasn't church. Their focus was to live out the kingdom, not to grow an organization. And so often we, we put our faith in, well, I'm part of the church. I'm part of this denomination. I'm part of that denomination. I don't like that denomination because I'm part of this denomination. And that's where my faith is. And, and they, did, they didn't have any of that. And perhaps that's why they were so powerful. <laughs> because their eyes were on Jesus, yeah. not on the organization. 
And they didn't put their faith in religion. By religion, I mean what we can do for God. They didn't put their faith with, I've done this, I've done that, I've done these things, I've done all these things, and therefore, you know, God's, God's happy with me. They didn't put their faith there at all. And that surprises some of us. It, it, it might even surprise you this morning for me to say things like that. Because somehow we often put our faith in all of those things or some of those things, even when we know that's not right. We still kind of put our reliance on it and lean on it and, and so on. But here's where they place their faith. They place their faith in an event. That event was the resurrection of Jesus. That's why Paul says if Jesus doesn't resurrected and he's not raised to new life, all our faith is in vain. Do you, do you remember he says that? He says that in Corinthians? Why? Because that's the foundation. That's, that's where our faith goes. That, that Jesus who died for us also rose again to live for us and for us to live through him and him to live through us. You see, if, we, if we're going to see miracles, if we're going to see blind eyes open, deaf ears um, opened, not unshut. Well, I don't know. What, something an amazingly spectacular happened with deaf ears. If we're going to see any of that, it's going to be Christ alive in us and his life affecting people around us. It's not our life. It's the life of Christ in us that we're releasing to others. And here's, here's the thing. We struggle to process that. We, we know it. Well, you, you know it if you've been in faith life any length of time, but sometimes we struggle to process it because we have so much stuff attaching around it, so much baggage around it, that, that gets us into this idea that we need to get every single thing just right for God to do anything. And God's going, I'll do anything. I, I'll do it whether you've got it all right or completely all wrong. Because it's me that does it, not you. And we, and we need to understand that, that, that when we see a miracle, when we see somebody saved, when we share with somebody, when we see God turn a situation around, when we see God restore a relationship, it's him, not us. Because when it was left to us, we were the ones that made the mess in the first place that he's sorting out, wasn't it? So it's him, not us. And um, the early church struggled with the same sort of things we struggle with. We struggle with religion and traditional traditions of church that we've built up over the years and all the stuff that goes around that and all the reasons why God doesn't do this today and why God can't do in England like he's done in Africa or China or Taiwan or Argentina or wherever it is. And we convince ourselves that there's all sorts of reasons why we can't see what God has promised. And God says... I can do that anywhere I like and I will do it anywhere I like. And I'm asking you, instead of thinking all the reasons why I can't do it, if you thought of a few why I could, you'd actually start to see it. And here's one reason he can do it, because he said he will. Here's another reason why he can do it, because he said he will. Here's another reason, because he said he will. That's it. We, we place our faith in God and he does it. And yet, 
We are so kind of tied up in traditions that we really struggle to release the life of God through us and in us. And the early church had the same problem. And it was something they struggled with for a lot of their, their early formative years as, as the body of Christ. You see, the early church, brought, they, they didn't just get Christianity new. They had an even bigger leap than we do sometimes from, to get ourselves out of our traditions and, and religious things. And their problem was that they were Jewish. And being Jewish... The early church had a distinctly Jewish flavour. Now, just imagine that everything that, that your people and you have been taught for your entire life was now changed. Because that's what they were facing. And they struggled to unravel a lot of that for their thinking. And, and I'm going to show you some of that this morning. For us, we have exactly the same struggle that they did in the early church. And it's this. They thought that they earned things from God and God responded to what they did. And so if they did good, they got good. If they did bad, they got bad. And they really struggled to get their head around that it had changed. We were trained from birth to believe that everything you get in this life <coughs> is based on your performance. That is so ingrained in the psyche of Western man and, and Cambridge man and Haverhill man and Ely man that, and, and little port man, that it's a struggle for us to unravel that. And yet, that's what they had to, that, that's what the, the, the early believers had to do. They had to get past this, it's all down to what I can earn. And so, here's what they did. They began to mix and match their covenants. They knew something had changed by the cross, they knew something had changed as a result of the resurrection, but they were kind of mixing it all up. Remember, Paul's not on the scene yet to unravel it all for them. He comes along several years later. So they're trying to, they're going, oh man, how's this work? How's this all working? And basically, their, their consciences and the way they thought were hardwired to all covenant thinking. And, and basically, all covenant thinking is all about performance, keeping rules, keeping traditions, doing things certain ways, uh, uh, and, and if we can do all of these things, and if we can do it enough and for long enough, and as many people as possible are doing this, and it's everybody's doing it, then perhaps God will do something. And we have that in our psyche just the same as they had it in their psyche. And they had to come to terms with the fact that the resurrection, the event of the resurrection, changed everything, including that. And we have to come to terms, if we're going to release the life of Christ in us, that the resurrection power in us comes from the resurrection of Christ that changed everything. And start to make a shift so we see things differently. You still with me? Now, I might get a little bit technical this morning, but as we're in Cambridge, that's not a problem, is it? Because we all have giant brains. Huge, huge brains that can handle complex thoughts. 
Like, what am I having for lunch? You know, those big, <laughs> complex thoughts. So I'm going to just take it that, that you're going to be able to deal with this, okay? Yeah. I'm putting my faith that you're all brains the size of planets, people. Okay, take that by faith. Just take it right now. I can do this. Where am I going? <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. So here's, here's what the early church were experiencing. The early church were experiencing having to deal with this at the same time as they were facing intense persecution. And they're facing intense persecution from a guy called Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus, is, he's the guy. He's trained by the top, top Pharisee. Gamaliel, you know, if you're talking brains the size of the planet, he's Jupiter. He's, he's, he's massive. And he's, he's an incredibly talented man, great thinker. And he trains this guy called Saul of Tarsus. And... Saul of Tarsus was being raised up or trained up to be like the successor. And what that produced in him, what all those... You see, Saul was zealous for God. Saul wanted to go after God with all his heart. But what it produced in him was a heart that would murder Christians. Because he couldn't see past religion to see that what Jesus had done was totally different. And so, let's join the story. We've got to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to t we're just going to walk through a little story this morning. Acts chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so if he found any who were of the way, that's Christianity before it changed its name, they called it the way at the start, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So basically what he's got is we've got a guy who is zealous after God but has no problem leveraging violence in order to do the will of God. And that was because of what he saw in the Old Covenant. In Saul's mind, he's just obeying God. And he can't see it differently. And he gets permission to head north, and he, and he goes off towards Damascus, and he takes a whole bunch of people with him. Now, we know the story, but at this, this point, this hasn't happened. He's heading towards Damascus to find any Christians that he can find and bring them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial, and have them killed. And, he, and he's on his way there, and he's knocked off his horse, and he's blinded by light. And he has this encounter with Jesus. And here's what he comes out of that encounter. He realizes that his zeal for God has been channeled in such a way that he was at odds with what was God was doing. And we can do that. We can channel our zeal for God in such a way that we actually operate at odds with what God is doing. So he does that. Now, here's the second, next thing that happens. God goes to a guy called Ananias. A lot of you know this story. He goes to Ananias and he tells him to go and meet Saul. Now, I just want you to put yourself in Ananias' shoes at this point. 
the guy who has been going around murdering Christians has a letter of authority to go and capture Christians, take them back, put them on trial and have them executed. And God turns up and he looks at you and goes, go meet that Saul guy. These people are just so cool, aren't they? I mean, like, it was like, I'm not going. <laughs> no way. I must have misheard God. He can't really have said that to me. And this is what he says, verse uh, 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Basically, he's saying, you want me to meet this guy, God? You must be kidding. <laughs> I am going nowhere near this guy. And, but the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And God, as we know, is in the process of recruiting Saul of Tarsus and changing his life. And we end up with the Apostle Paul. He's going to put this thinking straight. But right at the moment, his zeal is channeled down the wrong thing because his thinking's wrong. And that's what we're about. The resurrection power... The power of the resurrection in us needs us to change our thinking. We need to change our thinking because our thinking's wrong. So anyway, you know the story, don't you? Ananias prays for him. He gets his sight back. And this time he doesn't get just get, oh, isn't, isn't it amazing we get a testimony of blind eyes getting opened yeah. the morning that we yeah. talk about? Isn't God cool? I just yeah. realised that. Isn't that like... Oh, I preach myself happy now, I'll just sit down. <laughs> so, he doesn't just get his physical sight back, but he gets spiritual sight for the first time in his life. And he gets this extraordinary clarity of the difference between the way he has been living under the old covenant and what Jesus has brought in with his resurrection that gives us a new covenant. And he sees this. He sees that the two are incompatible. Now, remember, the problem everybody else is having, coming from their traditions and, and old covenant background, they're trying to mix it all up. And Paul comes on the scene, and I guess, I, I don't know why God did this, but it's maybe like he's got frustrated that people can't see it, and he's going, I need to send somebody. I'll send somebody that they hate so they'll pay attention to him. So... Paul comes in, he goes, you guys are trying to mix all these things up and trying to get it to work. You can't because the two are incompatible. The two cannot work together. Not just in relation to salvation, because you've worked out that that's a free gift, but what you haven't understood is the rest works the same way. It's all grace through faith. It's not the old covenant anymore. We're done with that. So you can't mix the two. And here's what happens. In grasping that, Paul changes from a violent man to a man of selfless love. The change is as a result of the revelation that what he received is all about Jesus' love for him and not what he can do for God. Yeah. 
Are you with me? Because yeah. it's absolutely extraordinary, I think. when we, we get so, we get used to skim reading all this stuff. And then when you put yourselves in these people's minds, you go like, this is absolutely extraordinary what God's doing here. So Paul sees what some of us have a hard time seeing today, that the two can't go together. Meanwhile, you know, like, meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, Peter's having a bit of a struggle. Peter's really, really struggling not to get the two messed up. I know we don't like to think of the apostle, but, you know, not everything that is said in God's word is God saying it. Sometimes it's men saying it and they're wrong. And Peter's really struggling He's struggling with the whole thing about his Jewishness his, um, and, and what that means in terms of things like circumcision and, and observing all the sacrifices and not mess, mixing with people and unclean foods. And, it, and it's like, Jesus, why can't you come back and just give us a few more lessons? Because I, I, I really don't think you prepared me for all this unclean food thing, Jesus. You did a lot of walking on water, but the unclean food thing, you, missed the, you must have missed that out. Either that or that was the day I missed. That was discipleship 102, and I only did 101 and 103. Because I didn't get any instructions on unclean foods. And, and he's like that. And, he, and, and basically what he does is he mashes it all together. And, and we can see this because God fixes for him to have an encounter too. It's so cool what God does. It's so cool what he does. And, and, and Peter's di- encounter is really different. Peter has a dream. And in that dream, he sees all the animals he's not allowed to eat. So he's struggling with all, like mixing it all together. And God like whaps all these animals in front of him that he's not allowed to eat. And then he tells him to kill them and eat them. Now... How does that compute in the brain of somebody who all their life has said, I can't eat these animals? I can't do that because if I do that, God will be displeased with me. And so he questions it. I, I, I have to own up. Sometimes I question God. Sometimes he tells me things and I go, no, no, you got that. That's not right. That can't be right. <laughs> Sometimes he just said, no, I'm not going to do that. But, but then he, he tells me again. And eventually I end up doing it anyway. So I don't know why I argue. Anyway, so we get to verse 14 of Acts chapter 10. Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. That's exactly the place you want to be. God gives you a dream. He tells you to kill the animals and eat them. And you say, No. Because I can't, because the law tells me I can't. So God, even though you've just told me that directly, I'm not going to do it. Peter hasn't yet come to terms. There's a difference between following rules and walking by the Spirit. Can you see that? He hasn't, they haven't made that transition to the fullness of walking in the Spirit at this point. So what does God say? He's very patient with Peter, like he's patient with me. And he basically says, don't argue with me. What I've said is, what, what, well, what is it? What God has cleansed, you must not call common. 
that is just so confusing to Peter because he has been taught all his life that this stuff is off limits. Here's the question. Did God change his mind? Is God different in the Old Testament from the New? No. <laughs> Discipleship 101 again for Cheryl. <laughs> you see, that's a really common question. Well, I, get, I don't get how God could do all this in the Old Testament, and he's completely different in the New. And we look at Jesus, and he's lovely. And so we develop a really false picture. And here's how the false picture goes. The false picture goes that God, the Father, is up in heaven and he's really angry with you. And he's looking at everything you do wrong and he's, he's just massively upset with you. And there's little gentle Jesus, meek and mild, going, no, leave them. And he stood there and he's in between. And we like Jesus, but we don't like the Father. And here's what happens. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father with the same. God is not different in the old and the new. However, the covenant he is relating to man by is very different. God is the same yesterday and forever, but the covenant has changed. God is not angry with us anymore. Why? Because Jesus took all the anger. And what is more, he rose again to new life to put a new spirit in us so that we could change and not carry on messing up like we've been messing up. Are you still with me? Good, because that's a big point. That, that, that's your brain the size of a planet point. So Peter gets a call from a guy called Cornelius. And Cornelius is a Roman. Now that might not mean anything to you. You go, oh, it's Cornelius in you know, God decided to use it. And the men say Cornelius knows Peter was with Jesus from the beginning and he wants to know the rest of the story. So basically, Cornelius comes to him and I want to know what, and I know you were with Jesus from the beginning to the end. Why is this like important? Again, get inside the head of what's happening here. Peter has never ever in his life set foot in a Gentile house. Because if he did, he'd be unclean. Never. He's never talked to anybody like Cornelius. And now Cornelius is saying, come over to the house. And he arrives. And look what, look what happens to him. Verse 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who come together. Peter doesn't just walk into a house with Cornelius, a Gentile who makes him ceremonially unclean, but the house is full of Gentiles. And it's like, okay, this isn't allowed. And yet he's going, but God's told me not to call unclean what he's called clean. And there's something happening, Peter. So Peter, being Peter, comes out with one of those you know how like sometimes you can say the right thing in the wrong way? Yeah? He's now going to come out with one of the most offensive statements in the Bible. <laughs> Being Peter. And this is what he comes up with. Verse 28. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for Jewish men. So you've walked into the house of Gentiles and he's going, guys, 
You know how unlawful it is for me to mix with you. And as you know, we don't hang out with people like you. By the way, it's not my idea that I'm here. <laughs> I love Peter. He's just, like, he's just like me. I'm a bit like him. We're one of the two. Then we get to verse, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Here's the implication. Here's what I just said to him. Until yesterday, I thought you were all unclean. I would get affected, infected if I came anywhere near you and I didn't want anything to do with you because I thought I was better than you guys. And now I'm having a bit of a moment with God and I'm struggling with what I thought yesterday. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, this is verse 34, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He's not, he doesn't have any difference between any sort of person. In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness, he's accepted by him. Here's what he's saying. I now realize that God has thrown open the doors to everyone and I'm behind the curve of what he's doing right now. And I believe right now God has already started to move in this land and we are behind the curve on what he's doing. And he's asking us to step into it. And to step in it, we're going to have to shift some of our mind things. We've got, we're going to have to be a whole lot more reliant on God and a whole lot less reliant on ourselves. Because what he's going to do, he's going to rock the church right across this nation. Because it's going to take people out of the doors of the church into the world outside and get them to reach outside. And people will see and hear. And that's going to be a real problem for some. But it's where we're going. I, I believe that with all my heart. Verse 39. We are witnesses of all the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Here's what he said. I'm not telling you about what I read about. I'm telling you about what I saw and was part of. There's a shift that God is initiating in the body of Christ where we stop telling them what we've read about and we start telling them about what we've seen because we're seeing it. This move of the Spirit that's coming is different from before. It's a move on every individual. And then the same thing happens to these Gentiles, these unclean people, as happened 10 years earlier at Pentecost. This is 10 years. Peter's been processing this stuff for 10 years. And he's only just getting it. The Holy Spirit falls. And Peter's going, oh my goodness. I realise I'm even further behind the curve than I thought I was. 
Not only is God inviting these people in, but he's filling them with his spirit. The spirit of Christ is now in people that I believed all my life and with all my heart were unclean and a danger to the church. And yet God's moving amongst them. And God will move amongst people that we think stood no chance of getting into the kingdom. And he's going to surprise us. He's going to surprise us with who rises up. So here's what, next thing that happens, chapter 11. You're getting a quick skim through Acts these two weeks, aren't you? Chapter 11, I'm, I'm kind of getting there, I'm, you know, I'm not so far off, I'm about 10 minutes to go, just so you know. You can have a fidget if you want. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, and when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the, uncirc those of the circumcision contended with him. Did you get that? The circumcised believers tell Peter he's wrong. He goes back to Jerusalem and the response of the church in Jerusalem is to tell him he's wrong. What's their problem? They understood the old covenant in a way and a depth that often we as believers now don't understand. And they can't make the switch. They've still got the tendency to mix the old and new. So why am I telling you all that? What difference does it make to us? Because that's, that's kind of why we're here, isn't it? We want to know what difference it makes to us. Then it doesn't just become talking about it. We want to know what difference it makes to us. Because of our propensity to mix and match covenants in the church, in the body of Christ, and because we are trained from birth that everything we get in this life depends on us and how much natural talent we were given when we were born. And in order to move the church to bring revival in this nation, God's got to change that about our thinking. He's got to set us free from that. Here's the thing. And I know I, oft, I, I say this in lots of different ways, but you need to listen again. When we mix and match covenants, you get the worst of both. When you mix and match covenants, you get the worst of both. Not the best. The worst of both. And you will never, ever get the best of the new. Why? Because as long as you think any tiny little percentage of what God does in you and through you is about you, you will not be able to release it. You will get in the way of the God in you. You will get in the way of the resurrection power and you'll go, God can't do that because I've done that. 
Oh, God can't do that because I haven't done that. And God's going, I want to do that anyway. And I just need you to get out of the way, lay hands on the person and command it. Then it's my problem. I'll do it. Here's what our tendency is. Our tendency is to take the old, shave all the rough edges of it that we didn't like, and then blend it in. So we don't have hundreds of thousands of cows, goats, bulls, and pigeons being sacrificed out there. Because we didn't like that bit. It's messy. The school wouldn't like it. We'd have to, we'd have, we'd have to get Dave Whitehead out with his high-pressure hose bite, hosing it down after we'd finished, wouldn't we? So we don't like that. And, and we don't like some of the other things. You know, we, we, we think, okay, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not too sure about all that draining blood out of animals before I can eat the meat, because I kind of like the way waiters do it. You know, and, and then, so we, we'll not have that bit. We'll not have that bit. And... Personally, I don't like to too, so we'll keep that bit in. But we'll not have that bit about mixed clothing because you can't buy any that's not mixed these days, and that would be a bit of a problem. I'd have to make a stand when I go to Marks and Spencers. And, and just, like, you know, we, we, we just picked what we want and, not, and kept the best. So we bin some, we keep some, we knock all the rough edges of it, and then we go, I can't quite understand how it all works, but it's great, isn't it? And here I am. And I can't see God. I can't see God moving. I can't see him affecting this nation. I can't even see him affecting my street. Why? Because we mixed it all up. We mixed it all up. Here's what happens. When we mix old and new, it leaves us dead at the cross. And we never get to the resurrection. You've got to listen to this. This is really important. It took me years to realise this. When you just have the cross, Jesus pays the price for your sins and you have forgiveness. Under the old covenant, you could have forgiveness by doing sacrifices. Jesus has just paid the price once and for all, wiped logically clean, all past, present and future sins, and he said, I paid for it. You are in exactly the same position as an old covenant believer if you leave it there. Because you still can't do it. Because you haven't changed. And then he raises again to new life so that he can fill you with his spirit and you can have new birth and the desires in you that produce the outward sin can change. You see, when Jesus came along, he didn't just like fulfill the old covenant, he nailed it dead to the cross with him and he gave us something completely new. At the cross, the old covenant died. And so did your old man. Jesus paid the price for all the good things under the old covenant. He took the punishment for all the bad things. 
And then he gave his life, new life. He rose again to bring in a new covenant of a new testament. And when he did that, everything changed. You see, the old told us how bad we were, but didn't give us anything about, able to do anything about it. And I know from what some of you say that you have still got stuck with that thinking. That you have tried over and over again and you've, you've, you've sometimes bowled your eyes out and been so sorrowful and remorseful. And you've said, I'll never do it again, God. I repent of it all. And yet, three days later, you're doing exactly the same thing again. Why? Because you're not living from your new man. You're living from the old covenant that told you how bad you were and didn't give you anything to do to change. And everybody can change because the Holy Spirit is in the business of making you, every single one of you, look like Jesus. What was impure, he makes pure. What was wrong, he makes right. What was angry, he makes joyful. What was sick, he makes well. He's in the business of change. That's the power of the resurrection. That Jesus makes a declaration forevermore. I have released life on this planet and I am in the business of change. And whatever it is you've done, whatever has happened to you, it's subject to change and it starts right now. Amen. 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 See, the new gives you new life. It gives you new desires. It, it just changes you. And you and you got like go through you're three months on and you can't work out why you're different, but yeah. And then people start saying, There's something different about you. And that's when you start to realise that the spirit is actually changing you from the inside out. And you've stopped trying to clean up the inside to sort the outside, stop trying to clean up the outside to sort the inside and realise that it's the inside and that will sort the outside. Yeah. Amen. Amen. See, there's a great thing about willpower. It works, and then it runs out, and then you're back where you started. Only you're now more guilty, and you're more condemned, and you're struggling even more with it. And Jesus said, I want to break that cycle. I want to break that cycle, and I want to fill you with life. And this is what he says. At the cross, you died. At salvation, you rose again with a different life. Now live it. Now live it. Live that new life. Jesus did not save us and tell us to try harder. He changed us and told us to live it. The two covenants are different. That's what Paul gets. That's what Peter gets. That God has changed you and said, now get on and live it. And I'll help you do it. Yeah. And none of it depends on you. It dep all, all that you need to do is yield up those areas of your life to me, and I'll do it. That's your part. Don't hold it back. Yield it up. Galatians 2.20 says this. Can I have the worship team back up, by the way? Because I have nearly finished. I'm, I'm on time. I've done it. It's good. I think you can always kind of have confidence in your pastor when you've got lots of verses, can't you? So you've had three chapters this morning, so I'm, you should have a great confidence in what I'm about to say now. 
Galatians 2.20 says this. You can say it along with me if you know it. I have been crucified with Christ. Let's say that again. I have been crucified with Christ. What are you then at that point? Dead. Dead. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You, as you were, are dead. The biggest thing that the enemy has managed to do and traditions has managed to do and religion has managed to do and churches have managed to do is convince you that that old man is still alive and he needs sorting out. You will never ever sort him. He had no, he had no power to be sorted. He's dead. You have a new creation full of the resurrection power of Christ. Why? Because Christ lives in you. Now, here's something that I made a mind shift on a couple of years ago. It was huge. And you might not get it, because I didn't get it. And God had me saying it over and over again. And if this goes on the internet, I'll get lots of things telling me that I'm the Antichrist, I'm a heretic, and all the rest of it. But then that's what they said about Paul. That's what they said about Peter. That's what they say about anybody. And I'll take scripture as my guide, not what people say. And that verse says this. It doesn't say Christ can use you. It doesn't say if you pray to Christ, he will do it. It doesn't even stop at saying you have Christ in you. It says you are Christ in you. That is your nature. That is your identity. Your nature and identity is I am Christ in me. Not I have Christ in me. I am Christ in me. That's my nature. And all I have to do is release him. Let him out of his cage. Let him out of his prison where I've kept him because I thought he couldn't do anything if I didn't sort out everything perfectly. And he's saying, I want you to know you are Christ in you and let me out. Let me out. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand. Let's worship.